So welcome to the first episode of the Primed Learning Podcast. Um, this will be kind of interesting because A, I've never done a podcast before. Uh, B, I really don't know what the, um, the structure of the podcast is going to be. If it's going to be an interview based, if it's going to be uh, me sharing my thoughts and experiences, if it's going to be interviewing and talking to students, if it's going to be talking to other teachers. I don't know yet, but I do know one thing. If I sit and dwell and try to come up with the perfect plan before actually putting any content out, it will never happen. So um, I put out on social media uh, that if I'm going to uh, encourage and empower my students to use podcasting as a tool to get their voice out there, um, I need to be doing it myself. So that's what this is. So maybe someday we'll be looking back, and I'm sure I'll be laughing and reflecting at how terrible this is, but uh, I just wanted to start. So a little bit about primed learning. Primed learning is, um, it's nothing yet. But what it is, is it's it's really what I'm hanging my mission on. It really, I wanted to epitomize what I'm working towards, and really what I'm working towards is a is a... Um, a future that is stocked full of today's students that are prepared for it. And through interactions and listening and talking to and watching a variety of influencers from Gary Vee, Tom Bilyeu, Seth Godin, Don Wetrick, and a host of others, there's one thing that's for sure is the skills that we are doubling down on in school right now are not necessarily transferable to the skill set that our students are going to need in the economy that awaits them, whether it's one they're wanting to become a part of as a member of the workforce, or if they want to be an entrepreneur and, 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 you know, be a business owner, business creator. So course I have two kids myself so I'm I'm concerned for them but the question becomes what can I do about it and um, I want to share my journey with you I'll do this in three parts this is going to be part one we'll call it the early years but when we wrap up this part of it I'm hoping that I'm going to have some clarity and direction on where I want this podcast to go so if you're listening to this you're awesome and you're very nice and you must have been out of episodes in your queue and you thought you'd throw me a bone. So I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. So I had a pretty modest upbringing. I am the youngest of three boys. Both of my parents were public school teachers. They both taught first grade for about 30 years, um, 29 of which they worked in adjacent classrooms, which um, my, my wife is also a teacher, and we shudder at the thought of what that would be like. But somehow my parents did it, and that's pretty awesome. So I spent a lot of summers, I spent a lot of time before school and after school cleaning uh, chalkboard erasers, yes, chalkboard erasers, and drinking diet, or drinking Dr. Pepper out of the pot machine in the teacher's lounge. And I thought, boy, being a teacher is pretty cool. But as I worked my way through elementary and middle and high school, um, one thing came to the surface is that I was not a very strong student. I was average. I was above average. I was about safely in the top third of my class, probably right at um, 
right at number, you know, 33. <laughs> uh, not a huge graduating class, but I was compliant. I played the game. I did what I thought I had to do, but it was a struggle. I had a lot of anxiety over tests, a lot of anxiety over not being able to answer comprehension questions. Uh, it got so bad to a point that um, my uh, my parents, you know, they bought some, they bought some at that time, VHS cassettes, some some series on teaching study strategies and recollection strategies and just basically how to be a better student. And again, this is coming from two uh, highly trained educators. And I had those those needs in line. So, but I but I survived. I was I don't know. I was the youngest of three, like I said. My oldest brother was the straight-A student. He was valedictorian. Um and he set the bar pretty high. My middle brother, uh, he was also pretty intelligent. I'm sure he was in the top 10 of his class and good athlete. Uh, he was very artistically cha- uh, talented. I almost said challenged, sorry, Jeff. Uh, the, he was artistically talented, uh, musically talented, and he's funny, just a very funny sense of humor and well-liked by his teachers and, and peers as well. And then there was me. I was a little bit of everything. I was definitely not the academic student, but I was the funny one, and I used humor, I think, to get m- me out of uncomfortable situations, one of which being I didn't understand what we were doing in class, or I wasn't able to do the things that I was being asked to do. So I kind of used uh, humor as an escape to that, and it got me in trouble a few times. My earliest recollection of such trouble was in kindergarten, where for some reason unbeknownst to me, I spit on another student. And I had my first visit to the principal's office. And that was very early in kindergarten. So oh, throughout elementary, I had a few more visits, one of which for the the unforgivable, unforgivable offense of dancing in line in the lunch line. Apparently, I was reminded a few times, uh, and I didn't stop. So I that was back when paddling was, was a part of um, the uh, punishment system in schools. So I met the business end of a paddle a few times. But outside of those experiences, I had a few other run-ins where I just made stupid decisions and they all came back to one thing, is I was seeking attention from my peers because I wasn't, I wasn't seeking, I wasn't getting the attention for being a good student or knowing the right answers. And I don't know if it's because my parents were teachers, that teachers had higher expectations for me, for my behavior and for my academic performance. But for some reason, I... I chose to use um, horseplay and humor to to entertain people. I was never labeled as a bad kid. I was just labeled as um, hyper. Um, was never diagnosed with any kind of ADHD or uh, any other um, deficiencies. But yeah, I made it through. Barely made it through pre-calculus. Uh, it honestly, it was a struggle getting through higher level math in high school. But we made it through. Okay, I'm in high school trying to think about college. It wasn't a matter, it wasn't even a question if I was going to go to college, it was where. And it was never really pushed on us. Both my parents, of course, went to college because they were teachers. Uh, my oldest brother went to a pretty prestigious school in, uh, in Indiana. My middle brother went to a, uh, a pretty well-known school uh, down in Cincinnati. And both, one of them went into marketing, the other went into uh, business administration. Well, I'm 17, 18 years old, and I have no idea what either of those are. But when I 
uh, enrolled at my undergrad, I had to choose a major. I felt so I chose business only because that's what both of my parents or both of my brothers did. My no one in my family owns a business, and very few people in my family, extended especially, um, were in any kind of executive position or someone that I would really consider a business person. But for some reason, I thought, boy, business is right up my alley. So I took the prerequisite classes the first year, which were a lot of some liberal arts and some general ed. And of course, I had to take pre-calculus again because I did not pass the entrance exam to be able to go right to calculus. And everything was fine my freshman year. I had kind of the typical freshman year experience on campus. Grades were, eh, they were okay. They weren't great but they were okay. So in sophomore year is when the the more business-associated classes really started hitting. And there were some things I liked, but when it got into finance, economics, um, statistics, we were getting into some higher level, I was starting to not like business as much. Well, next thing you know, you're a junior, and you're getting into your core classes. So I had a really good experience with one particular professor, and his he actually ended up being the the chair of the of the business school but at that time he was teaching a class on operations management and it's kind of a some people look at it as a general term just management but really it has more of a more of a focus on processes it has a focus on everything from inventory to purchasing to managing personnel it's really it's managing resources and I, and I liked him, and there were some parts of the class that really piqued my interest, so I ended up making my major operations management. Well, so I got a lot more into uh, everything from, from different purchasing strategies to inventory strategies to working on efficiency, quality control. So, so I, I spent a lot of time in that world and I was told by my advisor, who was my professor, he said, well, you know, for about three or four extra classes, you could actually have a double major. Double major, great. And not have to actually add any more time onto my, my schooling. Um, so I got a, a double major in purchasing. So, but again, I really didn't have a passion or desire or really any idea what a career in those fields would be like. But boy, it looked good on a... On a diploma. Well, at the same time, you also had to declare a minor at the school I went to, and I chose man. It used to be called Management Information Systems. Now it's just called Information Systems. Essentially, it's a uh, you know it's a computer minor, and we didn't get too deep into coding and programming. It was more so uh, learning how to utilize uh, software. Every, you know, at that time, the office suite was still pretty early on. So, yeah, we got really good at making PowerPoints and Word presentations and databases and or uh, Word documents and spreadsheets. And so, I, but I, but I, there was something about those classes that kind of uh, clicked for me. It came easier to me. I just understood it. It's almost like I don't want to do a humble brag or anything, but if you've seen the movie A Beautiful Mind. Um, where, where Russell Crowe's character, he sees the numbers solving themselves. Um, it's almost super, it's, a, it's an otherworldly power. That's kind of how I felt about, about 
utilizing software. Um, it's almost like I can see the solutions to, like if I didn't know how to do something, I could almost see how to do it before I actually went in and did it. So if, if some of you out there that can relate, you know what I'm talking about. But I, it was it was too far on in into my my schooling to switch gears and go with a computer science major because at that point I'm a senior and it was time to graduate. So I did. I graduated in the spring of 2008. Uh, excuse me, 1998. I was only off by a decade. Spring of 1998. And I had secured a job through some recruitment fairs for a wire and cable manufacturer uh, that was about 30 miles from campus and 30 miles from where home was at the time. So I took that job. I took that job not because I was passionate about the work I was going to be doing. I took that job because all of my friends, classmates, they were taking jobs. Sure, they were taking jobs in Chicago. Detroit, Columbus. Um, so I had a little bit of envy, jealousy. But what I also knew is that I had student loans that were going to come due and I had to secure a position. Now, in the environment I came up in, you, you started a job when you were done with school and you worked that job until retirement. That was the norm. But what people don't talk about is the tremendous toll that that model takes on someone who physically cannot stomach the work that he or she are doing. And that's, that's where I found myself. So I worked inside sales for six months and trained, learned the products, learned the customers, and then I was put into an outside sales account role in Dallas, Texas. My territory was Northeast Texas and um, Western Arkansas and Western um, Louisiana. I knew no one. I had never lived truly on my own. And I certainly didn't have a professional role to fill. But I took on the challenge. I moved to Dallas. I was hopeful to meet people, but I really didn't I really was not something I was good at. I'm pretty introverted, which might be a surprise to some of you, but I'm a pretty introverted person. I had my network of friends that I was comfortable with, and that was it. So I buried myself in my work. I traveled four days a week. I was barely home, so I didn't meet anyone. And it's my own fault, but I didn't meet anyone. I didn't have a social network. I didn't have an outlet, and I felt very isolated. I endured that for a little over a year and it got to the point where it was negatively impacting my health. I was grossly overweight. I was developing anxiety. At the time, I didn't know it, but I was developing an anxiety disorder as well as signs of depression. And it was manifesting itself in illness, which was impacting my work, which was adding pressure. It was a, it was a pretty ruthless cycle. The people I worked with were great. Um, but I had to be very honest with them. I was not fulfilled in that role and I felt like there's something else I need to be doing. So I left. I came back to Ohio and really had nothing. I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. What I did know from that experience is what I didn't want to do anymore. And 
you know, 20 some years later, I now see that that is an immensely beneficial experience. And that's one of the things that's a, a catalyst for why I wanted to start primed learning is helping students realize what they don't want to do. Now, also understanding that there's things in life that you have to do. But as far as a career, as far as a future, as far as where you're going to spend the majority of your time, the rest of your working life, if you can put yourself in a position where you can love what you do, which 20 years ago was frowned upon, you're not supposed to like your job. You're supposed to do your job. And thankfully for for today's workforce and for today's students, that mentality is changing. And I think it's really going to allow students to, to, to develop a love and a passion for what they do and really make a bigger difference in the world. So that's where I'm going to wrap up part one of this backstory. Uh, in the next episode, we'll talk about what happened after I came back from Texas. Thanks for listening.